0: Jumlah kasus yang diperiksa sebanyak 48.647 orang dengan konfirmasi positif COVID-19 7775. Kalau untuk uh, Indonesia lebih detail ada 6575 kasus dengan posisi 38 kasus COVID-19 in Indonesia. Indonesian
1: news outlets continuously update viewers and readers with the latest COVID-19 confirmed cases provided by the government.
0: Kemudian angka meninggal juga bertambah 47. Namun angka sembuh lagi-lagi lebih besar ada di angka
1: Compared to the size of the population, Indonesia's number of COVID-19 cases appeared to be relatively low. But is it really?
2: This is a self-limiting disease that will heal itself, the Indonesian Minister of Health.
1: Where do these numbers come from? And why do we have not two, but up to five different categories for COVID-19 cases? How accurate are the numbers anyway? Having accurate data is crucial for the virus mitigation. The key to having that accurate data boils down to obtaining testing results through proper testing. As millions of Indonesians are hoping to travel from cities to their hometowns at the end of Ramadan, experts say that such a mass movement of people would cause COVID-19 cases to explode from its epicenter in the Greater Jakarta metro area to towns across the country. Okay,
2: this is Indonesia in depth. I'm Sean Corrigan.
1: And this is Tanita.
2: In this episode, we'll go in depth into the COVID 19 testing in Indonesia and how this, along with the annual Ramadan migration, are two key factors when it comes to battling COVID 19. The coronavirus disease 19, or COVID-19, continues to spread across Indonesia, despite early beliefs by many government officials that somehow Indonesia was immune to it, or because of their religiosity,
0: that they would be spared.
2: That corona issue is very dangerous. Allah has destined Indonesia to be free from COVID-19 until now. So don't play around with that corona issue. That's a hoax. Spokesman for the Vice President of Indonesia. Indonesia's equatorial weather is hot and has high humidity. COVID-19 can't survive that, Minister Luhut Penjaitan. Corona isn't as vicious as H1N1 or the bird flu or others, the Indonesian Minister of Health. Instead, the virus has begun to spread from its epicenter in the Jakarta metro area to now nationwide. The virus is present in all 34 provinces.
1: To date, the government says there are 7,775 positive cases with 647 deaths and 960 quote-unquote recovered patients. Some health experts say that the government's number only represent a fraction of the actual cases, and this is due to two key reasons. First the lack of widespread testing since there have been less than 50,000 proper testing carried out for a population of 270 million. And second, those who are asymptomatic are not being tested. Here's the first problem with the official numbers. Despite having an official government COVID-19 count with daily press conferences, only on 16th of April did the COVID-19 task force chief finally admit that localized data had yet to be compiled into the official numbers. This means that until all the data is compiled from across the country, we won't know the real COVID-19 numbers. We can't help but wonder why the official number seems to matter so much if it doesn't represent data collected nationwide.
3: At the beginning, only one laboratory involved in the detection of COVID-19. Uh, That is the laboratory of the Ministry of Health, NIHID.
2: That's Dr. Herawati Sudoyo, a molecular biologist and the deputy director of the Ekman Institute in Jakarta. She's also an expert on human genome diversity. She's worked with the swine flu in 2009 and has been directly involved in lab testing and research for COVID-19 in Indonesia. According to her interview with Tempo News just a few days ago, Indonesia is expected to have new positive cases this week as more samples have been tested. So Dr. Hirawati, could you estimate the numbers of positive cases and deaths nationwide in Indonesia?
3: Well, uh, as you know already, I think there has been numerous mathematicians and epidemiological study uh, trying to predict the growth of COVID-19 cases using several methods based on a basic um, STI. Uh, one of the modeling that had been used for prediction exponential case was analyzed by our colleague Iqbal Eliazar from the Ekman of Stroke unit, our uh, group. I think without drastic measure, uh, an intervention from government of Indonesia, the calculation can reach as much as 70,000 cases. Uh, from Iqbal calculation, that will be reach the peak uh, on the end of April.
2: On the 17th of April, she later revised this in her interview with Tempo News, and she said that there could be more than 100,000 confirmed cases by the end of June. Without having complete nationwide data, we're not sure how we should interpret either of these numbers as being high or low. But one thing for sure is that these numbers are only confirmed positive cases identified through PCR testing, not the actual number of people who may have contracted the virus. We'll cover much more about PCR testing or polymerase chain reaction testing.
0: In a
1: to explain the numbers better let's look at the five categories that the government's covid19 task force issues with its daily press release first those that have been tested with pcr and have died currently stands at 647 people second are individuals that have been tested and confirmed to be infected after undergoing a PCR test, and this currently stands at 7,775 people. Third, are patients under supervision, or locally referred to as PDP. These are those who show clear COVID-19 symptoms, including respiratory issues, after basic health checks, but haven't really actually gone through a PCR test yet. There are just over 17,540 people in this category. The fourth one are those who have shown some mild COVID-19 symptoms, such as fever. And this is locally referred to as ODP. This would be anyone that has come into contact with someone with the confirmed or probable COVID-19 cases. These people are asked to self-isolate themselves at home. And there are currently around 197,000 people in this category. And the fifth are those without any symptoms, but have had direct contact with a positive case of COVID-19 patients, and thus have the risk of spreading the virus as well. They are locally referred to as OTG and asked to self-isolate in their home. At least 43% of those categorized as OTG are considered to be infected with COVID-19, according to the Disaster Mitigation Agency.
2: Before we continue, We want to say that our heart goes out to all the victims and families who have lost loved ones due to the virus. The victims of course are more than just numbers and we by no means intend to reduce them to mere statistics. All of the categories mentioned earlier are made public via the government's website, but it's very unusual to hear officials discussing the PDP, ODP, or OTG categories. Individuals in all of these categories are clearly at risk for the virus and are a health risk to the general public. As a result, these numbers should not be sidelined in daily press conferences or by the media. Classifying both ODP and PDP categories as COVID-19 suspected cases would cause the official number to skyrocket to almost 250,000 cases based on basic information available. What significance do ODP and PDP and OTG categories actually have?
3: We work with diseases before because we work with uh, many infectious diseases. Uh, and we try actually to look at what is ODP, what is PDP, and what is uh, OTG and others. But that's certain, that's very certain that there are only two actually suspect, and the one with a positive cases. So uh, all of them are suspect and the PDB might be that's the one which have a positive cases. So uh, in terms of international, I mean, uh, usually we only
1: have two Some critics argue that dividing the cases into many categories like that allows the government's official COVID-19 numbers to remain low. If you look closer into what accounts as patients under supervision of PDP, those are patients who have clearly shown symptoms of the virus, but simply have not undergone PCR testing yet. And Dr. Herawati is right. The WHO data only provides global numbers of new cases, confirmed cases, recovered patients, and deaths. There are no in-between categories. And just recently, the Indonesian Doctors' Association urged the government to be more transparent with its number and called for the government to release the number of those who died while under the patients under supervision category, or the PDP, not just those who have been confirmed to have the virus and died. For example, is Ibusheli Zendia Putri the young emergency ambulance worker for the Jakarta Public Health Office who was admitted to the hospital on 17th of April after suffering from severe COVID-19 symptoms she died just two days later as she was categorized as PDP her death will not be added to the official COVID-19 death toll
2: A key element in fighting the COVID-19 war is having good intelligence. That intelligence, in this case, is widespread testing results. You need the data to know who is infected, who is recovering, and if some are actually immune to it. Now, COVID-19 testing has increased in Indonesia, but only recently. To date, less than 50,000 people have been tested across the country using the all-important PCR testing, the most reliable test currently available in Indonesia.
1: The majority of tests conducted in Indonesia, however, have been conducted using rapid antibody test kits, commonly referred to as the rapid tests, which uses a blood sample and are widely available and cost around 16 US dollars before the pandemic. A special lab isn't required to do the test and it can be done at home. Contrary to popular belief, this test doesn't check for COVID-19 but rather merely identifies if a person has increased level of antibodies. This increase can be caused by any kind of virus, whether that's COVID-19, dengue, hepatitis, or other diseases. Another issue with rapid test kits is that the human body may not produce antibodies against COVID-19 for days or even weeks after an infection. So the test could result in a false negative It should not be used to diagnose patients, and the test cannot determine if a person is immune to COVID-19, as commonly believed. It's very difficult to determine the significance of a rapid test result, as there are too many questions left unanswered. With
3: rapid antibody testing, it's also being abused by the people because they they don't know what... The test for and they're just doing it like a pregnancy test so they buy it and then they test it at home and have their own conclusion. So I think uh, raising awareness regarding of the test is very important.
2: Dr. Ariati, a professor of clinical pathology at the Erlanga University in Surabaya, also told us that more awareness is needed when it comes to rapid tests.
1: The lowest form of testing is the rapid test because they test the antibodies by measuring the antigens. Since the government purchased a lot of the rapid tests, I explained that people need to be cautious of the results from those tests. If tested positive with the rapid test, it needs to be confirmed with PCR, and if it's negative, it needs to be confirmed again after 10 days. We have conducted numerous webinars to educate the public everywhere regarding this test.
2: Local governments are desperate to test and have procured rapid antibody tests to use in pop-up locations and even drive-throughs. There is a new concern about the quality of these tests, as a large number of them have yet to be certified in Indonesia or internationally.
0: But what we
1: have most here is the rapid test kits that we are gathering and review them to ensure that the kits were FDA approved from each country. Nowadays, it's as if any test is allowed to enter. We are now checking again to see whether they have received a permit or an FDA approval from each country they are from, whether it's China, Korea, America, Canada, even Brazil. So that's what we've been seeing, and we make sure that the kids enter Indonesia with the appropriate permits. This has become a problem
0: nowadays.
2: Dr. Ariati said it remains unclear who is overseeing the rapid test result process in some cases, and the process can lack interagency coordination or data collection between local governments.
1: I even feel panicked because there were so many rapid test kits offered from private hospitals and labs, private companies, and drive through testings that have emerged. I've been meaning to have a meeting about this next week with people who are responsible for this, who exactly has the authority to limit and regulate their policy for testing. I hope there are not tests being done and results haven't been reported.
2: Banyak orang yang seperti Ibu katakan tadi, belum many people as you said don't understand the testing and they feel that rapid tests are reliable enough to determine if you have covid 19 or not kena
1: I receive information that there are patients that have been doing rapid tests at home, and then they got confused because the results were positive. Then they ask the doctors and specialists, perhaps from a long specialist, then doctors ask us. With this process, we don't know how to give proper answers. The Medical Association has already made guidelines on how to report the results from the rapid tests that are negative, as well as those that are positive. Those people who get a negative results from the rapid tests don't do another test when they should. You also will still need to do physical distancing and practice good hygiene and healthy lifestyle. So for those who are negative, they could still infect other people because we don't know during the period if they may have a compromised immune system or that their antibodies are below the detection limit. All of those needs to be included in the guidelines. Similarly, for those who are tested and found positive, they must still conduct a test with the PCR and practice physical distancing while waiting for the test. All this has to be included in the guidelines. But those who do not go to the hospital or are given supervision by the health workers or by clinical pathologists will obviously don't know how that's being handled. So, some who use rapid tests will feel restless and confused. What we fear is that some may get so stressed they could commit suicide. That's what I worry the most. The social consequences are very worrying. I already appeal to the government, the public health office and all parties to gather together to provide awareness to the public not to conduct any rapid tests on your own because we don't know what is the benefit of it and the confusion it can cause. If they are found positive, they are too afraid to report it because they will have to be taken to the hospital and then isolated from their communities, neighborhood, and so on. In my opinion, I paid a the society right now as they are too confused and there's not enough information provided on testing, and thus, they are willing to buy rapid tests through WhatsApp there are too many parties involved now
0: RT RW kelurahan dan segala macam jadi menurut saya saya harus saya kasihan dengan masyarakat sekarang karena saking terlalu terlalu bingung kurang informasi yang benar sehingga mereka melakukan mau mereka membeli dari berbeda, WA KW tadi
2: detail, rapid test memeriksa antibodi seorang yang terinfeksi sementara PCR mengamplifikasikan RNA virus corona sehingga mudah dideteksi. Another test that is being conducted in Indonesia, all abet in much smaller quantities, are PCR or polymerase chain reaction tests. This one is crucial for identifying COVID-19.
3: Regarding the testing that available in Indonesia, I think it is acknowledged globally that the most rapid and reliable method for COVID-19 detection is by molecular approach. So the PCR quantitative uh, reverse transcriptase PCR is a gold standard to detect the virus.
2: PCR Mm -hmm. uses a swab test and compares DNA samples from the suspected person with a DNA sample from the virus. So you need to make sure that you're getting enough DNA when taking samples to make the comparison it can provide a far more accurate and detailed test result compared to rapid tests. It costs around $133 U.S. per test under normal situations. Dr. Herawati said that the rapid tests can be useful, but only when they are followed up with a PCR test. But here lies the problem. Obtaining PCR test results, however, can take around 2-3 to three days under normal conditions, but it often takes up to 8 days to obtain results in Indonesia crucial time lost to inform those who might be in contact with the patient and have also become infected, thereby spreading the virus.
1: Unlike with rapid tests, a special lab is required to conduct PCR tests and requires trained professionals. The labs are available in different provinces across the country, with Jakarta having five such labs, East Java with four, and there are less labs available as you move outside of Java. Now, the lack of labs has led to a backlog of PCR swabs waiting to be tested. The backlog
3: that uh, you mentioned before, it's uh, because we are overwhelmed with the number of cases. We didn't expect that high. And we did it manually, meaning that we have to extract the virus to get the RNA and later DNA. And that actually takes time. And because we are the one who working on the biosafety laboratory level three for specific reason, others, they do it in a biosafety laboratory level two. Uh, so the backlog is on the extraction, but that can be uh, fixed with the use of a robotic or automatic uh, extractor. So we, we already have and installed it this weekend. That means that we can double the number of extraction twice. So that's the, the one of the uh, challenges that we already solved.
1: Rapid tests dan... test can still be used. There is still a place for people to use them. It is known that even with PCR, the sensitivity for those with nasopharynx is about 70%. So there is still a possibility that it is false negative. That means that sometimes we need to combine the rapid test and the PCR test, since the tests for antibodies are still needed. There are many instances where it is very helpful when the rapid tests are conducted first while awaiting for a PCR test in the special isolation rooms. So patients are at times asked to get the rapid test first since there is still a long queue for PCR testing. Therefore, at this time, PCR results can take up to 5 days. Some take up to 8 days in areas. This is not actually because the PCR test process is long, but because of the queue. PCR test tools are very limited. We have reported these findings to the Ministry of
0: Health. To cope with this, the Ministry of
2: State-Owned Enterprises has procured new PCR machines two weeks ago from Europe that can do thousands of tests a day, up to 300,000 a month in ideal conditions according Selain to
0: the Zian machine's manual. PCR 10, the government says president
2: that it will ramp up tests, BUM but has yet to elaborate how that will be done quickly with a lack of level two labs and trained staff. What would be the, the number of tests per day for PCR tests, given that situation you just mentioned there with these new machines and... and
3: if that's the one bought by the Minister of Enterprises, that's the uh, high-throughput. So, yes, it, it can be actually identify or detect a virus uh, about 1,000 a day, but that's when you actually abuse the machine for 24 hours.
2: I see. So, yeah, it was heavy, heavy use.
3: Yeah, heavy use. So it depends actually on how will you use the machine. But with us, actually, uh, with the capacity to extract more, we can um, detect about 360 per day.
2: Is that the number nationwide? If, If you could estimate for PCR tests nationwide per day?
3: Well, unfortunately, no, because every laboratory have their own capacity.
2: Professor Ariati said that the new machines are desperately needed and very welcomed, but it's important to ensure that the staff downstream in the process are trained properly so the machines can produce accurate test results.
1: If it's properly used, but there needs to be very good control over the test, which means starting from obtaining the sample properly. The swab needs to be used in a biosafety lab that is decent with the right standards and good quality. Based on my calculations, it is above 2000 tests. That is if the tests were done in all of the laboratories with effective control of the test with clear protocols. Gathering the swab needs to be done properly. They must use safety suits that are level 3. When gathering the swabs, it must be in a negative pressure room to protect the safety for all the workers. And then there is the extraction. which which. which is still being done manually. Manual extraction has a higher probability of false negatives if it's not done properly. We hope that the government takes this matter seriously, therefore not only getting more PCR machines, but they must also think about the swab process, reagents, safety suits, extraction, and then the PCR itself. If all this can be done, we can immediately detect more positive cases.
0: Meski demikian, pemerintah A third COVID-19
2: method of accurately testing for COVID-19, COVID-19 is through rapid molecular testing which uses the same machine for tuberculosis testing. Over 900 of these machines exist in Indonesia, and the test costs around 26 US dollars normally. This sounds like a decent solution to ramp up testing, right? The problem is these machines have a disposable cartridge with COVID-19 testing. These cartridges are in short supply, as only Sweden and the United States manufacture them. The U.S. has banned exports of the cartridges during the pandemic, and Sweden can't keep up with the demand.
3: So uh, you mentioned that, well, for PCR, also there is a different platform. We know already that Gene Expert is available around Indonesia uh, for different purposes to detect uh, Mycobacterium tuberculosis. And we know also that the cartridge for uh, coronavirus is difficult to have.
1: As if Indonesia wasn't facing enough difficulties with mass testing, a new problem is emerging labs conducting PCR tests are having difficulties obtaining reagents. A reagent is a substance or compound used to cause a chemical reaction and used in the PCR COVID-19 tests. The test cannot be done without it. Reagent
3: is very important. You can buy a machine, but without reagent, you cannot do anything about it. And reagents is now uh, uh, very difficult to get. It's not only that well, uh, uh, we have to fight for the presence of that limited reagent, region, region, but also because the transportation is limited also. Say, for example, from Singapore to Indonesia, Garuda only fly once a day.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: we ha- also have to fight for that.
2: Mm-hmm. And what's the role of the reagent in the testing process?
3: To be able for you to test. Because, say, for example, in a molecular level, you have to extract the DNA, you have to break the membrane of the virus, Mm -hmm. you isolate the RNA, then you have to synthesize the complementary DNA, Uh, then after that, after you've got the DNA, you have to amplify DNA. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot, and that's the, the most important thing that, we uh, need. Uh, and limitation is not only about extraction, but also about the reagents. As you, we know already that everyone in other countries also
1: fighting this virus. So we have to compete with others. The government has been scrambling to procure reagents from other countries as Indonesia's current stock of reagents are in short supply.
2: Uh, Is it correct to say that there's a shortage of reagents in Indonesia?
1: Yes, that's correct. We are still waiting for the reagents in our hospital in Surabaya. We are ready to do the test, but we have to wait for the molecular reagents, especially for the extraction. I hope that we can start doing an automatic extraction, surely that would minimize the margin of error, or minimize the amount of false negative results, which thus produces good results. It seems as if there is no single chain of command for getting reagents. It also seems that the institutions that are supposed to be involved in providing these reagents are not doing that. Or maybe perhaps that the global demand is so high in every country due to the outbreak.
2: The majority of health experts believe that without drastic intervention by the government, confirmed positive cases could reach anywhere from 70,000 to 100,000, peaking sometime in May to July. Again, that's the number of cases that have been tested and shown positive for infection, not the total number of suspected cases. You may not know the exact estimate, but the State Intelligence Agency says that cases will reach more than 100,000, and the University of Indonesia says even higher. Will we reach at least 100,000 positive cases? Sampai kasus. Kalau nanti di bulan
0: Juni itu,
1: ini kasus terkonfirmasi ya? This is for the confirmed cases, right? So, June means that it's a month from now. If the reagents have already arrived in early May, and we can detect up to around 10,000 tests in a day, for instance, surely we could have up to 100,000 cases. That's my assumption. If there is support from the government to protect those who are tested positive or suspected positive, they should be protected so that their communities do not stigmatize them. But if there is still a stigma in society that prevents people from admitting that they have been in contact with COVID-19 patients, they won't inform the community. If that is the case, then in my opinion, I don't think we can increase testing. Because even though the PCR machines are available, if no one wants to come and check, then there is nothing we could do. Everyone has a role in this, and it involves all stakeholders. The government also needs to advocate and ensures that there is no ridiculing or shunning of suspected positive cases. If you look at the data from Kata Data that I read yesterday, Indonesia ranks the lowest in terms of swab screenings.
0: Ini itu bisa tercapai karena memang kita lihat di data di Kata Data itu yang saya ambil kemarin, Indonesia kan termasuk yang paling rendah memang angka capaian untuk swab screeningnya tadi akan dikucilkan dari kriteria akan dikucilkan dari desain.
2: Maka dia tidak berani
0: bicara
2: Not only are there logistical and technical barriers for testing, there are also new barriers due to the growing stigma against those who are suspected of being infected and those that have been visited by health workers. Some people are afraid to let others know that they may be infected and, as a result, try to avoid being tested at all. Dan di Despite the government having an official number of COVID-19 cases, the COVID Task Force has recently admitted that localized data from district levels had yet to be compiled into the official case numbers. In your opinion, Professor Ariati, do the official numbers from the COVID-19 Task Force have any meaning if it does not include the data from every district or provincial level? ada artinya jika belum termasuk keluruhan dan provinsi.
0: Jadi memang kalau kita melihat kenapa kita kok masih rendah.
1: So we do follow the data from the National COVID-19 task force and some ask, why do we still have such a low number of cases? In my opinion, firstly, our society has a negative stigma towards those who have come in contact with those who have been tested positive. Due to that negative stigma, they will be shunned by society.
0: akan
1: People are scared if they see medical workers at someone's house, and people worried about being thrown out of their neighborhood. If this is resolved, we can get more testing and see the confirmed numbers go higher and get more data.
2: Indonesia has a mortality rate surpassing 9 percent. This is quite high in comparison to other countries in the region. While Indonesia's rate is high, there are several factors which may explain why. The lack of testing means that only those with severe symptoms tend to receive proper testing and as a result are already in poor health. Again, Dr. Ariati.
1: Why are we seeing a high death rate? Actually, if this number is confirmed, it is high since we see that the numbers for those who have recovered and who have died are almost the same, around 8% or higher. So, for instance, if the confirmed positive cases are higher, then the fatality rate will reduce. Currently, it seems really high because the confirmed cases are still only a few. First, let's say that if we treat not only the severe symptoms in the hospitals but can treat the others as well, then people can be treated earlier. The death rate won't be as high as it is now, I think. So that's one. Secondly, if people were protected from being shunned by the communities when they test positive or have contact with COVID-19 case, then the confirmed cases will be higher, and there might be a higher rate of recovered patients. The rate for severe cases is only around 5 to 10 percent globally, which is very different from what is happening in Indonesia. There are a number of factors that need to be attended to. In actuality, that's not what it looks like if we see the situation in Indonesia, since the fatality rate is so high, which means that those that are confirmed are still low.
2: Is this fatality rate accurate? And if so, why is it so high or quote-unquote so high? Again, Dr. Herawati.
3: Um, Okay, this is a, a rather difficult situation. Okay. Currently, in Indonesia, as you know, and I mentioned before, that our testing capacity is uh, in a very limited situation. Thus, force each lab, actually, each lab who is capable of testing, uh, to shift their priority in testing mainly symptomatic and critically ill. So say, for example, our laboratory cannot accept contact or an individual with a very mild clinical uh, manifestation. And that, I think, uh, makes uh, the number uh, is biased in terms of uh, whether we have... Uh, suspect, or we have a positive case.
2: Mm -hmm. So do do you see the number as lower or higher?
3: Oh, uh, because we only check all of the individual or patient with a critically ill and the capacity of each lab is very low, the number becoming very high. Also, if you look at the death of the patient, the mortality rate. So if we actually can do a mass rapid BCR in Indonesia, the number might be less.
1: We're closely approaching Eid al-Fitri, or Idul fitri as it's known in Indonesia, the end of the holy month of Ramadan, where people traditionally returned to their hometowns for the holiday, or mudik as it's known here. Initially, the government had been very reluctant to ban people from mudik, and only suggested that people avoid traveling to reduce the spread of the virus.
0: Then on
1: 7th of April, The Widodo administration then changed their mind and issued a partial ban on Mudik, preventing civil servants, police, military, and employees of state-owned enterprises from visiting their hometowns for Idul Fitri, but not for the general public. And finally, after weeks of cabinet meetings, the government announced on April 21st that Mudik will be banned and the holiday will be postponed until the end of the year.
3: Indonesia's president, Joko Widodo, has imposed a total ban on people traveling back to their hometowns to celebrate the end of the fasting month of This policy
1: was very much welcomed, as many health experts have Widodo been warning said, against allowing mudik, as pandemic models predicted that over 14 million people would travel this year, something that would clearly lead to the virus spreading to every part of the country and infect 1 million people as a result. According to Pandu Riono, an epidemiology expert at Universitas Indonesia, both Herawati and Ariati cautioned this at the time of our discussion. I think
3: I agree with you that the mudik will be a source of a widespread of disease. Uh, we know that. Well, we just have to study. How the virus spread from Wuhan to all over Indonesia. It's caused by global transportation. And the global transportation is not actually different with the regional transportation or the local transportation. People moving, as well as uh, if we uh, remember, uh, the pandemic started with the Chinese New Year. So, uh, so everything is uh, already predicted, actually, and people can predict that. There is no more explanation. It's required, I think, for the, this question because it's kind of like we have to uh, learn from the previous pandemic study. SARS-CoVirus the first, uh, the avian flu, MERS. Everything is about transportation and spreading of disease. Nowadays, science can be uh, helped by different kind of uh, field, mathematics, becoming or bioinformatics information technology becoming very in top, important in terms of prediction. And if you actually believe in science, then you should believe in that prediction. So there is nothing I think that uh, we could do except that you prevent people from moving back to their, or mudik to their kampong, bringing all of the virus with them. The reason why is because the individual or the person with positive virus without a clinical manifestation is larger than the one who has a critically ill and clinical um, manifestation. So they are the one who actually can introduce to Uh, people in uh, other region.
2: Just one day after the mudik ban was announced, President Widodo made a statement that puzzled many when he signaled that some travel was allowed, which is called pulang
0: kampung.
2: Even though both mudik and pulang kampung are essentially the same activity, which is the transportation of people from one place to another. From the public health perspective, whatever the motivations of the travelers are, and how you want to call it, they pose the same danger, which is spreading the virus.
3: I think in the time of pandemic, what we should have is transparency and also factual. And you actually uh, react very rapidly. So transparency, meaning that we have to do public communi- good public communication, uh, we have to give risk communication, and in my opinion, we lack those kind of two. Because it, say, for example, Singapore, they actually, the government gave you a very clear information regarding uh, the situation, when they have contact, they actually open to the public. So it's not that you stigmatize the uh, patient with COVID, but the reason why uh, they actually open that is because then people know which contact that should report, and that's I think the most important thing, because at the beginning, people would like to know that they are in doubt whether Indonesia have the or suffer from coronavirus. They don't know because the reason at the test was negative all the time. And there is no coronavirus because we are immune to it. So, uh, and they see that Singapore already have positive and people coming from Wuhan uh, to Indonesia openly and Australia also reported cases. Uh, Without you actually looking at the map, people will ask and they try to get the information. There, where the hoax actually uh, started. And it's becoming chaos. So if it is open from the beginning, then people maybe will prepare with this kind of pandemic. No country in the world actually be prepared with this coronavirus attack. But still, I think by actually open to the public uh, public will understand. Not all, because we are so diverse in terms of um, socio-economy, uh, language and others, but still many people will understand that. And that's, I think, the key to mitigate the disease.
1: We want to thank all of the medical workers and volunteers for their hard work on the front lines during this pandemic. Our hearts go out to the families who have lost loved ones while protecting others, such as Shelly Zaindia Putri, the Jakarta emergency ambulance worker who died in the line of duty. We also thank our insightful guests, Dr. Herawati Sudoyo from the Aikman Institute in Jakarta, and Dr. Ariati from Universitas Airlangga in Surabaya drop us your feedback and comments at info at Follow us on Twitter at IndoInDepth and Instagram at IndonesiaInDepth to keep yourself updated with our latest content. This episode was written and produced by Sean and Tanita, edited by Risky, extensive research by Veronica, and graphically visualized by Daniel. Thank you for listening.